Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Chris Rivas, who is a podcaster and a storyteller and an actor on stage and screen out of the Americas. He speaks in this conversation with me about um, beauty and changing yourself and whether you ought to and why he has an issue with the term wrestling, which I use um, to describe a particular thing. We talk about words as quotations and faces as quotations and the meaning that your appearance has or doesn't have. I thought this was a really fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. I always say that, um, and I, I, it's partly because I, I just have such a nice time doing this. When I started doing a podcast in the first place, I'd been looking for a while for someone to do a podcast with, and I realised that collaborators are hard to come by and also you need somebody who's going to be as invested in it as you are. And I thought, okay, what would I do if I weren't doing anything else? If you strip everything back to what I enjoy, um, what will I keep doing? And it's having tea with friends and unpacking ideas and sort of challenging myself or challenging them or or in that kind of environment of openness that means that you can juggle ideas around you can say things and go oh no that was bullshit why did I say that or or test out ideas or test out ways of seeing the world or unpack your own ways of seeing the world because you feel relaxed and comfortable and safe and that's what tea with me tea with Alice means to me that, that I can have that space, that I can create that space with somebody else and that I can create that space for somebody else. And I think um, just to do a, drop a little manifesto in the intro there, that's, that's one of the things that I, I really felt like I didn't know Chris before this podcast and yet we were able to kind of have that conversation, whether that's attributable to the fact that he's, you know, professional speaker and, 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 and performer, I don't know, or whether it's something that I'm doing or something that this space creates. I like to think that I'm doing something towards it. Anyway, enough of that. You can find me online at patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. That's where you can support this podcast or the rest of my work that I do. It's a place you can go. I do a weekly update of what I'm getting up to, given that social media platforms are all collapsing. I do a weekly update there. It's where you can get all of my podcasts um, and my stand-up specials for free. You can come to my weekly salons or my weekly workshops, writing, and we write together for an hour and then we workshop something for an hour. That's also available at my patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. You can sign up there for like a dollar a month or whatever you find. Um, Or if you want to support this podcast in other ways, share it, tell your friends about it, tell your enemies who have good taste about it, um, dare them to do it. That's all I have to say. I'll talk to you again next week. You're having tea with Alice. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Who are you and what are you drinking? Hi. <laughs> I'm laughing already because I, I am a big tea drinker, but I don't have tea right now, and I hate that I'm about to I'm going to answer honestly. I have water That's in right. one hand, yes. and I have a protein shake in the other. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I really don't love that that's what we're in right now, but that's what's happening. Um... I went climbing earlier, drinking some protein after. Uh, my name's Christopher Rivas. That's what I got. Excellent. I really like that. I, I, I mean, obviously, 
staying hydrated and keeping your protein up is very important health-wise, but I like to think of it like like when people go out and they switch, you know, they have one soft drink for every hard drink that they have, that you're just like, maybe the protein is too much, you yeah, make yeah, sure yeah. it stays watered down in your system. <laughs> so you're a rock climber. I am. I love climbing. It's very meditative for me. Indoor or outdoor? Uh, both, but primarily indoor, because indoors where you don't kill yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like outdoor, even if it's a far easier wall, there's part of your body that knows that it's more real, and so you're like your fingers cramp up more, almost. Oh, I mean, it's, it's just everything. Like... The the mat is not the mat that's indoors. <laughs> like, there's a mat, but it's hard. <laughs> it's not yeah. like cushiony in any way. Um, there is a. I just heard there's a type of climbing, like outdoor climbing, that you do over a body of water. So the cliff would be over a body of water. So if you fall, you fall in water. That I'm very into. I haven't done it, but I'm like, oh, I would go all out with that. I uh, look. I think falling on water is is a mixed bag. Really, it depends on how you fall. As yeah, somebody who's true. done my fair share of belly flops, they they can be. Oh, water can be a a real bitch to fall on. <laughs> also true. Uh, yeah, so primarily indoors because of all this. And have you been doing that all your life or is that a recent acquisition? Uh, it started during the pandemic like it did for many humans, I'm sure. Uh, and it just yeah. really stuck with me. I kind of, uh, I fell in love a bit. It's just so your whole being has to show up, meaning it requires your mind. It requires your body. It requires problem solving. Uh, and I love anything that makes me show up with everything. Uh, yeah. I feel like that it's called various things, flow state among others. Being on stage is similar if you're doing it right. Uh, I, I know there are sometimes you can kind of check out of being on stage and be like, what am I talking about? But mostly there's a kind of a survival instinct that kicks in that says, if I don't get this right, they'll burn me as a witch. So I have to, I have to be here or, or surfing or, or swimming or climbing trees or rocks. Um, there are, not that many things or maybe drawing art sometimes can get you into that into that flow state i find it really interesting because it is a kind of meditative thing um but it's different from actual meditation which is in some ways a lot harder because it's a lot less relaxing i've only gone surfing a handful of times but it is exactly that i mean that's another one where i'm like you have to be, you're watching the ocean, you're present with the ocean, you're reading the ocean. Uh, so many variables that you have to be attuned to that you can't not show up. Or if you don't, if you do not show up with something, you will, you will suffer the consequences or not reap the reward. Uh, I think that's also why I love acting so much. Like you said, when it's right, um, you're there. And I think we all seek moments of being fully present. That is a really lovely way to put it. And yet, I think we all want to seek moments of being fully present. And yet, I think so much of our lives is spent checking out of what we're doing, or sort of maybe we're really efficient or something, but they're, they're, there's this kind of being that you can just con you can just go through your, like you I reckon you could have a relationship for five years if you share a taste <laughs> in Netflix shows yeah. and never actually need to relate to one another in any kind of genuine way. Yeah, probably. That's, this is, yes, I would imagine this is, this is true. Uh, I often like to say ignorance is bliss until you've tasted bliss and the rest is just ignorance. That's nice.
it really is, you know, less is more, but then once you have more, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. It's like, oh, now, now I know what it is to go deeper, to be less surface. Um, but yeah, I imagine there are plenty of people who have, they like their Netflix and they like a certain pasta and that is good enough for them. Well, yeah, I also, I think there's a, I mean, showing up for like beautiful transcendental experiences like climbing or, or, or surfing and being present in those moments is one thing. But if you kind of hold yourself to that, you have to be present for the hard things as well, which can be, you know, really hard. One of the things, I mean, it can just be really boring sometimes. Like uh, one of the things I've realized since having a kid, I've been on doing touring with her is that the long distance flights, the 24 hour flight from Australia to the UK is only really bearable if you check out, (laughs) but you cannot check out with a baby. You have to be present for every single one of those minutes. And I think I'm glad of that, but at the time it's really hard work. Yeah. I imagine that, uh, I have not done that that flight. Um, I actually have a trip planned to Australia in May, and it's my first. It's the longest flight I would have ever taken, uh, sixteen hours. And I know exactly what you mean. There are moments where you're just like, if I check out, that's okay. Uh, but I think also consciously, I think that's the difference between consciously checking out, like choosing to check out, you know, and choosing when to plug in versus like always being checked out uh yeah in this life and i think kids are you know i don't have a child yet but i imagine that yeah they they force you to to check out less <laughs> yeah and to really i think appreciate difficulty um and i i, I don't mean that in like uh, i mean that in a very specific way when I say I don't mean that, I'm trying to preempt some projected idea of what people will think when I say that. I think part of what makes relationships deep is going through hard stuff together. And I think that that's kind of somehow been put to the side, maybe that we think everything should be easy or our relationships should be easy. But like having an infant is essentially trauma bonding. You're both exhausted. You're both trying to figure out how to be a person. You know, you're learning everything about the world together, this new kind of phase that you're in, and they're learning about, you know, having a face and what it feels like to do a poo. Like they're they're figuring all that out. You're figuring it all out at the same time. And that difficulty is part of what makes you so in love with each other, I think. I have a meditation teacher who says, uh, let the heat kill you. And so what that's about is going through an experience, not around an experience. Like, and, you know, so in the context of sitting or meditating, it's like, let the boredom kill you, right? Let the, let the time, let this annoyingness take you, go through it, not over it. And, and so much of our time, I also think is spent wanting to get over a situation, wanting to get out of a situation, wanting to go around a situation versus like, I have to go through it. My whole life is 24 hours on a plane. Like I have to take the journey. Like I have this opportunity to be here because I might not make the destination per se, which is dark and possibly morbid, but like, you know, let the heat kill you. 
Yeah, I think that's um, is one of the things that my dad said that I found really like profound after my mom died. She was ill for a very long time and we looked after her and he said one of the things, and maybe this is like really Catholic or something, but he's not Catholic, he's Jewish slash Buddhist. But one of the things he said is that that kind of situation requires certain qualities of you as a person. So being in love with looking after your wife who is disintegrating over the course of 30 years requires you to be infinitely patient infinitely understanding uh not grossed out by bodily functions things like that and if you are confronted with that situation you have to find that in you and if it's not in you you have to build it out of whole cloth you have to just make that be something that you can do Mm. and that that is a privilege to become a better person to let like to be forced to be a better person is is a privilege. Um, sounds really great. My dad is a lot of things, among which is great. He is great in so many ways, but he's also a lot. Uh, but then all parents are a lot, I think. What have you been wrestling with of late? I uh, what have I been wrestling with of late? So many things. Patience. My mother recently said to me. You need to start looking for patience in places you haven't looked before, which for me has translated into the idea of uh, of arriving, of like being he, being here, you know, presence. The same thing we're all we've been talking about this whole time, and um, I've just been I've been, and I don't know that it's a wrestle as much as like I'm I'm with it, I'm sitting with it, I'm dancing with it, you know, eating with it, making love with it. Like, what does it mean to arrive? Um, and you know i'm i'm an artist by living so arriving is kind of difficult because because monetarily i only make income off the next thing you know and the next creation um a lot of my life is built around next 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 and so what does it really mean to arrive uh and is that the place i haven't looked for with patience that's really interesting. Yes, I know there's a terrifying thing that happens with art where you're throwing way too many things at the wall. And if more than a couple of them stick, you're going to be completely overwhelmed. <laughs> but none of them might stick, in which case you're fucked. Yeah. So there's some sort of desperate gambling going on, some bargaining with the universe where you want some of them to work, but you have to push them all like they're going to work or you, de you know, it's just a, a terrifying space to be in. And then also, I felt this the other day of, of somebody was asking me about a particular gig and I was like, "Ugh, you know, it's fine. It's a <laughs> fine gig to do. It's not a big deal. And they were kind of like, but why isn't it a big deal? And I was like, well, cause I've done it. <laughs> like if I've done it, it can't be a big deal. Uh, <laughs> and that's part of this kind of thing. The moment you get to the top of the mountain, you discount that mountain. And it's really hard to make time to be like, no, no, this was something that I wanted for a long time. And to look all the way back down to where you came from. Which I think is also attached to artists not being good about celebrating their wins, you know, and yeah. and the illusion that there's something we have to maintain. Like now that you've accomplished this, you must accomplish something else. Like it's a never ending mountain. You just are going to have to keep moving up and up and up and up the mountain. And if we stick with that metaphor, you're like, damn, that's exhausting. I want to just rest. 
at some point. And impossible. At some point, you have to get okay with going backwards. Or if backwards, if, if it is linear, that, that part of aging is going, okay, I'm not going to be able to lift the thing that I, you know, I, I spent my whole life lifting heavier and heavier objects. And now my muscles won't do that anymore. And you have to be okay with progress looking like a slow decline mm. in your abilities and kind of figuring out how that, how that is a form of progress or not having to frame everything as progress maybe yeah yeah or reframing the things that you value yeah i think of feelings versus things so like we think we want things things will give us certain feelings you know that this kind of job this gig this car this house um but really what we want from those things are feelings and so if we if we start at feelings, the things might come after that. But first, we should embody the feelings, put ourselves in spaces that allow us to feel enough, whole, loved, seen, valued. And I think, you know, you, you have a, a, a young child now. You're watching that relationship between feeling and things. Like every second, young humans are... <laughs> having this understanding that certain things give me feelings, but certain feelings allow me to have these things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that challenge of trying to help her be herself in a way that she will eventually come to like mm -hmm. or enjoy, you know, you, you want to, ideally, I think I want to build a person who, I want to help build a person who likes themselves. Um, that's, that's beautiful. Hopefully, like yeah, I often you know, not too much, not in like an American way, not like American level self love. No, I'm being not really. a cocky way. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's huge. As a kid, I always say slash it gave me the curiosity that I that I have today. But as a kid, I did not like myself for whatever reason. Had nothing to do with my parenting. I don't think you know my really super loving, dope parents, but um, you know, uh, related to race, related to my identity, related to, you know, being a brown kid, wanting to be on TV and not seeing myself. But there was just so many things where I didn't like myself as a kid. And, and I had to learn to love that uh, part what of myself. What was the process for you? Did you do it as a deliberate thing? Or did you slowly start to realize that you liked yourself? Did you did you change yourself? Or did you change the way you were looking at yourself? All of the above. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't have language for not liking myself as a kid. You know, I don't know why I looked in the mirror and didn't like my features. You know, later on, as you as I evolve and I have more language and more, you know, uh, words like colonialism and, you know, uh, code switching and assimilation, I start to piece together oh well I didn't see myself represented and so I didn't think I was worth it my story didn't matter I start to think about the times I did see like you know John Leguizamo on Broadway and I was like oh my god there is space for me you know a Colombian dude from Queens like me later in my life I start to put put these pieces together you know I think being an actor is so interesting because and an artist in general is because so much of I think of the work of an artist is saying see me it's like, it's, it's really screaming, see me. 
you know, yeah. see me and then invest in me, buy this, you know, read this, watch this. Uh, yeah. See and me and then see yourself in me. Hopefully. I mean, like, I don't, I don't think other artists care to do that so much. Uh, I think that's a conscious choice. I like to try and make with my art. You know, I want art uh -huh. that is a space of belonging where others can be seen and know that like they belong and they are enough. Um, mm. I do think art has that power, like in a tremendous way to do that. So yeah, did I change myself? Yeah, I did that too. You know, like there were moments where I put shaving cream in my hair to like stop my curls. I had a white manager who told me to get a nose job and I did it. Oh, wow. You know, and I worked more after I did it. Oh. So all of the above. I straightened my hair uh, for my, when I was a lawyer for one year <laughs> and I, I straightened my hair for the job interview for that. And I didn't like it, even though I got more compliments from my male friends. It felt like lying or cheating or playing a video game on easy mode or something. There was something <laughs> about it. Not to make this about myself, but I think this is an interesting story, even from an outside perspective. I think everyone has a phase where they're like at their hottest in life. <laughs> And for me, it was going into university. I started doing athletics training and I went from being my twin brother's fun, chubby sister to being a hot chick. And it was like three kilograms, basically, where I was running and you lose weight because you're running and I was running around at university. I was really happy and excited and doing all these like extracurricular activities. And, and genuinely within about two weeks, a bunch of friends started to think I was hitting on them, mm. even though nothing I was doing was different. And it was just a shift in my body of like a, a minuscule amount. And I really resented it. Mm. It made me really angry. At them, at society, at your body. At... <sighs> because it was important to me to believe that looks were not important, maybe. No, it's not that they're not important or effective or impactful or anything like that, but that, that I did not want to foreground them in my identity. Mm, yeah. I didn't want the way I looked to be part of how I thought of myself. What do I like about myself? I didn't want the answer to that question to be how I look. And then I felt to a certain extent that they were that, that that kind of interaction was forcing me to consider how I looked in a way that, you know, I, I quite enjoy thinking of myself as like a floating brain in a bubble or thinking of my body as functional rather than aesthetic. And I say that even in the context of like, I get on stage, I put makeup on, I, you know, all of that stuff is kind of in, in conflict and contradictory and, and sort of uh, wrestling with itself. But in the same way as when somebody goes, oh, well, we're doing a girls' night, all women comedy night, why don't you come on? And I kind of like, I'm like, thank you, but fuck you. I want to be <laughs> booked for being a good comedian, not booked for being a woman. I don't think my womanhood is relevant to my comedy. So you're picking me for a thing that I don't think is important about me, but it's nice to be wanted. It's like when companies pay me a bunch of money during Hispanic Heritage Month, you know? I'm like, bring me in, bring me in a talk in November. Like, I'm great. I sound exactly the same in November. <laughs> yeah. 
I sound real good in July. Like, you don't have to just bring me in this month, but I will take your your check. So when you decided you were going to get a nose job, how did you feel about that process, I guess? I didn't, uh, you know, in hindsight, I don't, I don't, I don't have regret because I did it and, and it has given me so much medicine to talk about and share openly and, um, and admit and confess. I really thought, I mean, I'd like the thing that's sad to me is I allow a person to tell me what I was worth and that I could be worth more if I changed myself, you know, like the amount of power I gave this other human over me to tell me what to do with my life what to do with my literal face, <laughs> like how to spend my money, you know, to allow someone to change me. So that part is something that like hurts little, little kid Chris in me. Yeah. But I think a lot of us are doing that often anyway, um, in less in bigger and smaller ways. So I don't, I don't regret it. You know, I did it. I did it. And the thing that's also very sad is that after I did it, like I mentioned, I started working more. And I was like, whoa, she was right? Is this because I look more Eurocentric, more appropriate, more white? You know, something about me. I was like, am I acting better? Am I more confident? You know, what what clicked that allowed this to work? And then it's tricky to know. And then that kind of self-doubt or uncertainty. Yeah, it's tricky to know. And then it just is... It's part of your life. And I, and the thing is, I didn't tell anyone for so long. Meaning like when I did it, I went home to Miami. I did it in Miami where my parents live now. I was, I was born in New York, though. Uh, I need to put that on record. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> born and raised in New York. I don't know your local American politics. Yeah, born and raised in New York. Parents live in Miami now. That's what Latin people do. Okay. They go there after enough time. After they get sick of winter, I assume. Correct. After they get sick of winter. They go there. And I I went there. I was even dating a woman who I didn't tell at the time. I was like, there's some family stuff going on. I got to go be home. Uh, and I stayed there and, and I let this swelling go down there. And uh, I just took some time to, to be there and to have this thing happen. Uh, and then I came back and just kind of operated like nothing ever really existed. And even people that really knew me didn't know because a big thing the surgeon wanted to do was like, if I give you a, a brand new nose, that would look weird. Yeah. Like I, I can just take what's here and, you know, just sort of alter it a bit, but it, it'll be sort of natural so that no one's like, this is a different human. And it's fair to say he did a wonderful job at this. <laughs> did people not notice? You know, a couple of people after, after I started talking about it, which is really like after my book came out, were like, you know, I kind of thought, but I wasn't sure. Only, I mean, I'm talking only like two people wow. said this, but most of the people didn't really notice, which is also interesting to me, which to me maybe means like they didn't really care about how I looked. They really enjoyed me as a human. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know that I would notice. Yeah. I've always sort of been alienated or bemused by the scenario that's put forward quite often of somebody not noticing your hairstyle, you know, that you come home with a new hairstyle and somebody doesn't notice oh, yeah. and that's really offensive. <laughs> and I don't like, I, like, I don't notice my new hairstyle. Like I don't necessarily, I, I think I sort of think I look like whoever I'm talking to. 
um, mm. in that I'm always surprised when people are taller than me or shorter than me, even if I know objectively that they are. I sort of assume we're the same height. I don't know well, what, isn't that the, like, what that is. That's the weird brain science of we, we don't actually know what we look like. You know, we don't actually know what we sound like. Like even though you have this podcast and you listen to it, you will never hear what other people hear. You have this this sort of uh, your brain doesn't really allow it. Uh, th- this is why the photograph is so powerful, and the movie, and the we don't know who we are. We don't know what other people see when they see us. Even when we look in a mirror, it's a reversed image. But we never see what other people see. Um, and and there's something I think scientific holy sociological philosophized about this idea that we might not be meant to see ourselves in that way um which is why they always say you know every spiritual tradition says other people are your mirrors like relationship exists because other people are your mirrors you know they're there to see you yeah and bring out in you those things about yourself There's a theory that I bounced into once, which is that all language is quotation. So all meaning, like in the most mechanical sense, you only ever understand something from hearing it in another context. So you know what a book is because somebody once held up a book and pointed at it and said book. And then all of your understanding of what the word book means comes from hearing it in context. That's meaning. Meaning is always quotation. And the layers of meaning that accrue are just this this library of relevant references that build an image in your head, which means that the image for you of book is different from the image for me because we had different quotes that we're drawing from to build that cloud of meaning. And I think in the same way, how I look to somebody will have to do with other people they know who look like me or who don't look like me, what they associate, like this kind of jaw will be familiar to them from say 18 assholes who they know. So they're going to look at me and and Mm -hmm. the bottom half of my face is going to like feel a bit dickish to them or whatever, you know, like that the way we look to somebody is never just how the light hits the planes of our face. It's also got to do with, association and relationship and then their relationship with you as an individual as well will shape the way your face looks to them because not only does your face make certain expressions when it looks to them if it's kind and and loving towards them that will also imbue it with meaning and so then faces that look like yours will seem kind is that a thing i'm sorry this is just i think that's a thing i mean yeah if i look like someone who whooped someone's ass in high school like there's, there's a good chance that person's body will have some bias towards me. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, which then brings it back to what you were talking about, about representation on stage. I think that's 100% right. I think, I think there are biases like that. I also know there is science around. Have you ever seen uh, 30 Rock when John Hamm was on and he had the handsome bubble? No. <laughs> like they had this whole bit about the handsome bubble. You know, when you're handsome, you live in kind of a bubble and this bubble makes you see things as only handsome people can. And I don't think I don't think that's necessarily wrong. You know, I know that I know I know what we 
as a society, we put beauty, the human brain puts beauty in a certain place. Yeah. Um, Socrates was talking about that when he was talking about symmetry and, you know, like the face and, and Da Vinci was drawing it when he drew like, you know, the man and, and, and the circles of, of what is balance. Like we, we hold in us uh, beauty in a high regard. I do think there are times in our life where we should start classifying and challenging what beauty is and challenging what's been sold to us is beauty. Like why is Kim Kardashian beautiful and uh, not the black woman who lives on my block? You know, like why is that beauty um, and something else is not? One of the things that I've found interesting, I read an article about it with plastic surgery in Russia one of the differences between uh, plastic surgery in, in Russia and plastic surgery in America is that for the most part, when people get plastic surgery in America, they want it to look natural. They want it, as, as your guy said, you don't, you don't want to look like you have a whole new face. Whereas apparently, according to this article, in Russia, if somebody's getting breast implants or lip filler, they want it to look like they've got breast implants or lip filler because that's a sign of having money. Well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a jewelry that you're wearing. So almost the more unnatural it looks, the better. I mean, I think about the Brazilian butt lift, like whenever I see one, you're like, this is not natural. Like no one has that. And yet it's the hottest surgery on the market right now. And so what is beautiful and why and, and, and can we challenge that word? Because I do also think, you know, I think beauty is podcasting conversations like this. I think beauty is spaces of belonging. I think, you know, I want to create beautiful things, but I also want to challenge what we, what we think, what society has told me is beautiful. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe that's got to do with contextual meaning again, that sometimes when you say, oh, he's really beautiful. What you mean is he's kind of a shallow asshole who only has his looks going <laughs> for him. And then sometimes what you say is like, that old lady's incredibly beautiful. What you mean is something completely different. It's about the way she carries herself in the world and and it's not this surface angle sort of uh, mechanical beauty. I feel like, you know, just visual arts has probably gone through that process over the course of history that you've gone from beauty being straight lines and symmetry to beauty being something messier and more dynamic and, and what's attractive rather than, you know, what's pure. That distinction I think is worth making in, in visual art that sometimes you don't want to look at some Doric columns in a row. You want to look at something that's really <laughs> tricky and draws your mind in and you're not sure what you're seeing and it makes you feel something. And that's a different kind of beauty that can be more valuable. That's another thing I've been, you asked what I was wrestling with. And I don't think it's a wrestle, like, you know, it doesn't feel aggressive, but, but I have been thinking about artists and our job to create beautiful things because a lot of things are being created on a daily basis that are oppressive or damaging you know or violent or straight up lies yeah. uh which fall into those other, other categories so what does it look like for artists to create beautiful things yeah uh, i mean i guess we all we all find that out in the process i'm super i got slightly distracted because this is the second time that you've 
slightly uh, pushed back on my formulation of what are you wrestling with. And I think that's a really good example of the like all meaning lies in quotation. For me, uh, when I say wrestling, I, I think of uh, wrestling with my brother on the pontoons that float in Redleaf Pool in the harbour in Sydney and that kind of joyous um, half performative struggle where you're trying to work something mm-hmm. out in, in, and, and going back and forth in conversation over tea and, and, and questioning yourself or that moment where you realize that you had something wrong all along and it's slightly uncomfortable, but really sort of a light feeling that comes out of your chest. And I think when you hear the word wrestling, you, it feels like there's something violent about it that you recoil from. Yeah. I think of effort, you know, and not that, challenging something isn't effort but but yeah i want it to be joyous effort i want it to be you know let the heat kill you even is a is not a wrestling yeah it's a sitting with it's an effort it's an intimacy it's a softer i think of wrestling i think i think i think of wrestling i think of hulk hogan yeah 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 (laughs) so that that's your different kind of word cloud or meaning cloud to that word whereas i think yeah for me it's it's a um it's antithetical to a kind of dull passivity, a, a, a sense of certainty, a sense of sort of smug surety in your own worldview that I find to be something that I want to f- fight against. So for me, wrestling is this like real active and exciting and 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 loving thing to do. It is interesting because I, I do like, like I enjoy the word conflict. Yeah. Like, like, I think conflict is good. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, let's put us in more spaces where we can have good, good, healthy conflict. Yeah. You know, which might be wrestling. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that's just, it's just so shaped, I think, by my brother who just loves a wrestle. Just so much of mm-hmm. my childhood was my brother going, hey, can I tackle you? And me going, yeah, sure, fine. <laughs> let's, you know practice tackling or whatever it was that he was excited about brazilian jiu-jitsu he's um he's got he's got a daughter who's now four and he from the very earliest of ages when she was like a tiny infant like six months old would play like brazilian jiu-jitsu wrestling with (laughs) with her um and now like she has a younger brother who's now coming up on two and she doesn't know obviously she doesn't know how gentle her father is with her when he's wrestling so you will just turn around and she'll have her little brother in like a pitch perfect chokehold <laughs> she's gonna be deadly yeah she's, she's gonna be and she's huge as well she's really tall so she's gonna be completely amazonian which i am delighted by i had a real um moment of like panic with her the other day where i was trying to do like you know, sometimes you just try and put on a psychic patch on somebody's on somebody's brain because she's now at the age where she's encountering Disney staff and mm. and those stories, which are in their own way very beautiful and 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 can be really empowering. But she went to lift up her brother, and I said, "Oh, look at you! You're so strong!" And she immediately put him down and said, "No, no, I'm a princess," and I was like. Mm. Like, I was like, oh no. So I just made this like list of like, well, think about Jasmine. She's got a tiger. You have to be really strong to have a tiger as a pet. Like just absolute panic stations trying to, because she's going to be massive. She's going to be so strong and powerful and physically able. She's just got, she's got 
you know, her mother is an international netball champion. She's going to be an athlete. And if she doesn't like that about herself, that's such a waste, you know? Yeah. If that's something that she doesn't enjoy about herself, when it's such a, a wonderful thing, it makes me feel really sad. So I, I'm I'm hoping she'll take that on board. I don't know. I'm not a parent, but there is one, there is one parenting strategy that I have always loved, and it's from a book called Vedanta. And Vedanta says a parent's only job is to allow their children to experience their desires safely. Huh. So that's something I really like. But I've I've heard a theme in you with your own kid and your brothers of making them love themselves. So I wonder if that is a second quality I will bring into my to my future parenting technique, which is like allow them to experience their desires safely and give them the foundation to enjoy who they are. Yeah. I think also part of what I'm thinking with my with the show that I'm writing at the moment and kind of is that everyone is sort of a parent to themselves, to the people around them. It's not just, I mean, obviously giving birth to somebody or nurturing somebody or bringing somebody up or choosing to be a parent is one kind of version of this. But I think there is something in that that I am now seeing everywhere, which is that even passing someone in the street and smiling at them is part of this idea that I have of I like myself when I'm somebody who smiles at somebody on the street. And I, I hope that I'm giving them that as well, that they're the kind of person that gets smiled at on the street and that they're the kind of person who gets to smile at people on the street. Even that tiny, tiny way, what you're doing is helping somebody like themselves and being somebody that you like, mm. being a version of yourself that you like, because obviously every version of yourself is true. But sometimes you're being someone who you're not particularly pleased about, you know? And so I feel like maybe, maybe that's going to be the point of the show, which is that that's our duty to each other in some way. Comedy, comedy. Well, it'll be funny, I hope, <laughs> as well. I often say, like, this is who we are. Some people are listening, but it's like one hand is who we are, the other hand is who we want to be, the space in between um, is is the work of meeting ourselves, you know, and the, and the more we meet ourselves, the more we come up against those moments, wrestle with those moments of like, oh, I'm real graspy right now, I don't like that about myself, like, I don't need to grasp or be so, you know, needy, you know, I the closer I get to myself is, is the goal. Yeah, and then there's, I, I think there's those moments in yourself, that are so pleasurable when you solve something or fix something or yeah, let go when you know that you, your instinct is to grasp or confront something when you know your instinct is to shrink. And they're these like really interesting private pleasures. The only analogy I can think of is once I was sitting on a toilet and it was an automatic flush toilet and it started flushing. <laughs> Uh, before I was ready to do it. And I leapt up like into like a, a ninja sort of pose and I didn't get splashed with the toilet water. 
and I was so pleased and I just wanted to tell everyone. <laughs> I just wanted to tell everyone that I'd done this like incredible like reflex move and it's not a thing that you can share. And that it's not a thing totally. that anyone else, <laughs> I mean, I did 10 years later, but you know, these like these mm. private pleasures, I think of kind of, yeah, becoming a, a better version of yourself. It's funny. I hear those, that story and I'm like, why do these toilets always flush before you're done? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have I become invisible? Like <laughs> Why has this technology not gotten any better? Well, there's sort of, is it an emotion sensor or a presence sensor? Do I have to like dance while I'm going to the toilet in order to keep it? It's a pet peeve of mine. It's like, I'm still standing right here. Yeah, I'm, I'm real. I'm a real person. What would you like people to find of yours? Where can people support your work? Uh, where are you online? All of that stuff. Instagram is my most active I'm on all the things but it's Christopher double underscore Rivas I wrote a beautiful book called Brown Enough you should read it everyone should read it uh, I have a podcast of the same name also called Brown Enough excellent it's worth the listen I have listened to the podcast I've ordered the book but it didn't arrive on time for me to read it so I apologize before you left that makes sense <laughs> and then uh, we also have a podcast called Ruby Rosa, which is about the Dominican man that James Bond was based on. Um, this epic, epic, epic individual uh, who was twice the richest man in the world, best friends with Sinatra Kennedy, a spy followed by the FBI for 17 years, and then turned into some white British dude. Pretty epic. All other things can be found on the internet. Chris double underscore Rivas, thank you yeah. so much for having tea with me. Thank you uh, for having protein shake with you. You're welcome. I mean, protein shake is just <laughs> a version of tea, really. Yeah. It's cold, powdery tea. <laughs> the worst. Yeah. Oh, do you know her or do you not? This dolphin mistress that we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doffers at every frame. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle doll.